Hello and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wildbo's most sunny work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And, and um, we... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I know I'm not meant to speak now, but yeah, I, I just... Yeah, this isn't how our format goes. <laughs> um, sorry, you just you just mentioned like the sunny work, which is obviously yeah. the Sark's little word that we chose. Mm-hmm. Hasn't aged particularly well this week. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Sunshine is a, a villain in this uh, <laughs> in these chapters, which is fun. Um, but we'll get to that. So yeah, uh, we've got uh, Lucy as our protagonist for uh, as our point of view character for Leaving a Mark four point six. As uh, she starts, she's woken up by a ritual, the Ice River Challenge. I mean. Well, everyone's woken up by it, except yes. for Verona. Um, yes, that's true. Um, yeah, so I kind of glossed over this initially, not realizing how big of a deal it was, because the measurement was given in feet, feet and when I <laughs> see feet, I don't really comprehend it, and I just kind of go like, oh, that's a number, and ignore it. But yeah, this time I did the I, same thing. Yeah, this time <laughs> I translated it to, you know, metric, and it's eight meters high, which is a very high jump to make, right? Like... Talk about a way to wake up. It's it's a great practice for being a practitioner as well, which is making a dangerous jump off a rickety bridge for almost no benefit. It's great practitioner <laughs> practice. Yeah, it, it's funny, like because you're right. I had pictured this in my head. I don't know why, but I was picturing a creek going beside the school that was like, yes. like a, a meter across. Yeah, and this is like a, a bridge that was two feet high, and it was more about the cold water. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm glad you pulled that out because I was picturing entirely the wrong thing. Yeah, um, me too. No, it's eight meters high. It's a it's a <laughs> real jump. Like that's this is like a proper bridge for cars and shit. I I I guess. Um, I, it's funny. Like I definitely think you're right. Like tying it to being a practitioner, but it's also just like wh- what it made me think of as well is this is such like a teenager thing. Like we we actually had a thing at my school. There was there was an excursion we went on sort of annually, mm. and there was a a 10 meter jump into the ocean that, that we did like every year. This is mm. a very similar sort of deal to this, just not in the yeah. morning. It was when we went to the beach, but um, it, like it, it just struck me as such a teenage thing. And, and you're right. It's a sort of reckless teenagery stuff that made me think this school must just be such a fucking powder keg. Like, Oh yeah. Like I, I, I don't know how I hadn't quite considered this in, to this level till now, but like putting so many fucking, teenagers with all this power like in this sort of situation like no wonder shit pops off pretty regularly like what a what a powder keg well we got the alcazar incident last chapter that was described last episode right um how frequent do you think incidents like that are because i reckon they'd probably be pretty frequent knowing how one volatile the practice is and two stupid teenagers are (laughs) Yeah, honestly, the fact that that's the only notable example from last term that we've heard of is kind of a credit to the school's environment. I would yeah, hundred percent on that. Um, Yeah, yeah. and then again, wait, just thinking about how crazy it is to have so many teenagers like this. I get us like, what was Miss thinking? Like thirteen-year-olds, perfect. Like, Mm. well, that doesn't seem to be that out of the norm, right? Like, because we get a, a kind of list of of younger students towards uh in the bonus material for this week and it's like 13 to 16 year olds right yeah 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 that's crazy <laughs> i mean it's a it, crazy idea and i'm i'm kind of baffled that alexander went and decided to start it <laughs> um yeah well i think like 
what makes it particularly sort of insane to to me like, because i think that makes sense like that is the age where we expect teenagers to start sort of stepping up and taking a yeah. bit of responsibility yeah like whether it's getting small like part-time jobs or whatever um but like what hadn't occurred to me till now is you know miss clearly chose three 13 year olds so that she could ha- take a hand in guiding them and, and shaping them. yes um I, I i don't know maybe maybe my household was quite unique but i wouldn't have thought 13 year old teenagers were the ideal candidates for people who you're going to have an influence on as a parental figure <laughs> Um, you know that's a good point now that i think of it <laughs> notoriously an age where you they don't listen to what you say i mean maybe that's a maybe you've uncovered some kind of hint and uh miss was intentionally picking people with a bit of kind of reverse psychology expected yeah although i, I suppose teenagers it's more about oh often it can be about like just sticking it to their parents and finding someone else to join up with so miss yeah. is just taking advantage of that yeah true misses the kind of rebellious older kid vibe <laughs> i don't know um to, gotta to... stop hanging out with that miss girl <laughs> she's a bad influence <laughs> can you imagine verona's dad saying that to verona now you have to stop hanging out with that miss character did he um, actually say that in one of his in his last appearance he was like i don't like how you get with lucy and avery like I, oh, you should yeah. hang out with them most and, and verona was just like oh, yeah that's gonna happen <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, so, uh, Lucy declines going on this ice river challenge, which I think is the right decision. Um, but incidentally kind of befriends one of the other kids around, which is, uh, one of the boys in the creepy urban spirit family who seems nice. He's got a kind of mad scientist type familiar, which is a pretty fun (laughs) vibe. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean. I just love how, like, this 14-year-old kid just sort of quickly goes over Dreg's backstory, which is, like, he was this guy who was in med school and basically was, I guess, using magic to help himself be a better doctor and also do well at studying, but he, like, kind of cracked himself open a bit and people took advantage of him and Mm. he's just, like, an echo of a person. And Mm. uh, so he got picked up by this 14-year-old kid and now they're life partners. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's such an insane series of events that's, like, kind of tragic because yeah, Drake... Seems normal to me. I mean, without knowing more of the details, it kind of sounds like Drake was trying to be a really cool dude. Like, mm. oh, like, he was he was using this power to help... He, well, yeah, he, it, it's definitely... It feels like a metaphor for how med students burn out so much because it's, like, mm, he literally... Interesting. ...burnt himself out um, trying to be a better doctor and now he sort of gets to live on as the... Uh, because we talk so much about how familiar relationships, there's all these different levels depending on how powerful the other are. I, mm. I, I get the impression that um, I've forgotten the boy's name. This this 14 year old urban spirit kid, he's definitely in charge, right? Like like Dreg is for all intents and purposes his like you know a personal assistant or something. Yeah, right? the, the 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 power dynamic definitely seems to be very traditional in terms of practitioner and then subservient in in yeah. quotes familiar. Yeah, so just like R.I.P. to Drag, who, you know, maybe he was up to shady shit, we don't know, but it kind of sounds like he was doing some really cool stuff, putting himself on the line, and mm. now he gets to be subservient to a 14-year-old who uh, calls yeah. on the spirit of fucking drug addiction, um, mm. which is the other side I want to talk to you about, because throughout this week we found out more, we find out the names of, of exactly who everyone in this family calls on, and I had these gaps filled in a bit for me because I didn't put it together. Mm. But they're all sorts of, they're all different kinds of drug addiction. 
Yeah. Um, like Black Gutter, Glass Prison, and the uh, was it drug store, drugstore cowgirl. Yes. Um, so cool. Like, mm. I I don't know. You said oh, Lucy made friends, but I'm like, I don't know if we should be making <laughs> friends with the people who are literally powered by people suffering from drug addiction. Sure. I mean, until we learn more, we don't know that they're not taking that power and channeling it into a useful, helpful <laughs> thing. But you're right that at the very least, they are incentivized to make sure that there are yeah. you know, drug addicts that exist. So that's not great. At, on Unless we though. learn that they put the majority of their power into... Towards, like, rehabilitating and, yeah. and helping <laughs> drug addicts. Yeah, totally. But this is one of the things where it's, like, the only acceptable use for, like, gathering power from drug addiction is if you're using it to combat it. Like, mm. unless, like you know, and I, I can't believe that that's the case. I imagine if this is a family that's built off of it, um, they're yes. presumably using that power selfishly. So, that like, that's pretty fucking gross. Mm. Um, he might be nice, like, as an individual, but I don't know, especially once Lucy gets more information on that. I can't, I, I don't think she'd conscience it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. He seems nice, but that's a, that's a first impression and not at all us understanding what he does and how he operates. Um, so yeah, Lucy and Avery go to kind of prep for the day and in the bathroom meet Millie, who is a knight of seals. Yes. So she rides sea lions into battle. With you know a sword and full armor, I'm assuming. I mean, I hope. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I know I'm jumping back a bit and ruining the flow of everything. Yeah, shame I just on sort you. Of, I just had an extra, extra thought about the yeah. creepy uh, drug family. Mm. So that they briefly touched on their familiars, and and obviously we learn a lot about familiars uh, in these two chapters. Yes, it's interesting how thinking about the type of drug addiction each child is associated with and their familiar choices. Um, how that kind of balances them out. Like, so mm. they say one of them has a boogeyman and it's said that that means it's like the opposite of being cheerful. Um, and that was the, I think it's the youngest daughter who's tied to like drugstore cowgirl, which yeah. I, I assume was sort of like high energy, like upper type mm. drug addiction. Mm. Um, whereas the one who's, I think it was the glass prison one, which is, um, I was told was like alcoholism, which is obviously like, very sort of low energy sort of situation and they had like a, a, a naiad type thing which is like you know a, a a nymph type thing from greek mythology i believe so very like cheerful and sort of like it it's interesting i, I guess they're getting familiars who give them energy to complement what they're getting from these big spirits they call mm. Mm. yeah interesting I don't know what that means. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the, and here's what it all means. Yeah. Here's how it comes together. This is what happens when I think of an idea live, and I'm, I'm waiting to put it together. But yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it, <laughs> I feel like we, we, we talk a bunch here about how others and, and humans can work together um, in these familiar sorts of relationships. And this is a not terrible example of that, I suppose. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. We'll see. Um, yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm trying to think of if I can put together the pieces on it now, but I also don't really have anything <laughs> tangible. Sorry, everyone. Um, let's jump ahead to to the Night of the Seals, shall we? Yes, yes. Because there's a bunch of cool things that are sort of brought up here. Like I love all these little details. Like um, Millie, uh, she sort of defaults to thinking of them as having practitioner parents, 
mm. just this moment of oh yeah oh your parent like it's just that yeah uh you know that's the sort of normative uh situation here like everyone is a practitioner from a practitioner family mm. um and, and and then to sort of extend that a bit further she brings up like she's from the magical equivalent of like a janitorial family. Well, that's how she describes it, but I don't. That yeah. seems harsh. Maybe she's well, she must be in the age of rebelling against her parents a bit, to be honest. Well, like it sounded pretty cool to me, but like what yeah, I, I know, <laughs> I, I like what I what I sort of took from that way she introduces it is it kind of sounded like you know it's something maybe she thinks everyone else in the school looks down on her. Like just sort of. Again, I, I feel like we get all these elitist vibes from from the school sort of in general. Mm. And, and that struck me as as like a bit of a moment like that. Like she, you know, she's in this school or whatever, but she's, you know, the from like the, the sort of equivalent of like, you know, the, the lower class uh, magical family. And she's trying to sort of use the school to try and find something else for herself. Although mm. from her, it, come, it seems to come from a very individual place. She just doesn't like that job and she wants to do something else and have that opportunity um yeah i guess she's kind of just not keen on the family business as it were yeah yeah exactly which is like fair enough uh, on a personal level but like it, just the way she introduced it brought up this idea like just reinforce the elitism of this school that mm. she seemed to assume that people will tell them oh that's mm. like the janitor equivalent like oh you should look down on them yeah i yeah I guess she's couching it based on her experiences, um, which is pretty sad. Um, but, yeah. yeah, it seems like a fortunate meeting to me. And and they didn't fully remark on this, but Millie's family specializes in the tracking down and removal slash dismantling of big magical creatures. And that's, like, exactly what's happened to the Carmine Beast, right? So surely Millie slash her dad, who's coming to do a lecture or something, will be in- useful for the Kennetiers to know so that they can kind of get info on on what some of the things to look out for might be around this or other things like that. But they didn't seem to fully click onto that. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I didn't either until you wrote that. And it was like, oh, yeah, like this is, these seem like the perfect people to call in uh, and be like, hey, can you help us round, out the remain, round up the remains of the Carmine Beast or something? Yeah, or even just like, hey, when someone drains a big other like this, what are some telltale signs to look out for? Like, they've got some of that. Yeah, right. They've got some of that info from the the Kennet others. Uh, Actually, who did they get that info? I think it was was Edith, right, when they were in the ruins. So I would even be like, maybe double check some of this info. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it seems good. They they seem to get along with Millie here. So I hope this will stick around and give us some you know important uh ways to find clues later well they get along with her to start with and then of course there's more beats of the trio kind of examining the ways that other practitioners treat and discuss others so the the incident here is millie goes around discusses how she and her family goes around i think she uses the word exterminating uh goblins every so often um which is interesting Uh, yes, it, like, she thinks of them as rodents, essentially, like, this, this sort of thing that gets in and infests places and needs to, you know, be exterminated before the infection gets too large, mm. um, whereas obviously Lucy, uh, challenges that. I love how Lucy's like, I didn't start a fight, and I was like, Lucy, you didn't not, not <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll get into that, because I think that's a whole other thing, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, 
I, I think this is a really interesting debate because obviously we've met goblins and we know f- for better or for worse, they're, you know, they're not just rodents. Mm. Yeah. I mean, okay. So here's the, f- the phrase that I wanted to pull out that Millie says. She says, it's a cost and benefit thing, Millie answered, packing up her stuff. If any of them don't, in brackets, deserve to be executed, and I've yet to meet one that didn't, then the cost of letting the others slip the net isn't worth sparing those few. They're too dangerous, too nasty. Now, that is obviously a statement that is designed for us as readers to to look at it and recognize that it is pretty horrifying, you know, depending on the group that is being referred to by Millie here. Um, yeah. Having said that, the goblins that we know seem to be the least, like, generally dangerous. And, and even them, you can see what the the fear is there like i don't know i millie says if any of them don't deserve to be executed and i've yet to meet one that didn't fully not lying right like she doesn't <laughs> think she's lying there and i'm i'm kind of like yeah you know what you probably haven't met one that didn't assuming you haven't met goblins that try and not you know be evil <laughs> yeah but i mean that's if you're if you're treating them like numbers on a page where it's like, you know, oh, we've got to kill them all because even if one well, is good. Well, yeah. She, I'm, like, I'm assuming she's not, you know, before she executes a group of goblins, giving them all a, you know, a five-question summary of, you know, <laughs> yeah. you find a turtle in the desert on its back, what do you do kind of <laughs> stuff, right? Um, yeah. Oh, but just, yeah, just that line of thinking. And, and Lucy and Avery call this out as like, it's very concerning to hear oh, like, yeah. a young adult person being like, even if there are some that are cool, it's not mm. worth letting them live to risk the other, like the bad ones surviving. Yes, Which, 100%. Like, is this sort of very utilitarian sort of, you know, well, she, she literally says cost versus benefit. Um, yeah. But uh, as you said, it, it's, it's a bit odd with goblins. Like this is something you can explore in sci-fi and, and fantasy that you, you can't do in real life because obviously in real life there aren't just like objectively kind of evil things or, or people. Whereas, like, okay, goblins, I think have, we've been told are like the established, oh, so the embodiment of like gross and bad impulses everyone has. Mm. So they are kind of objectively the worst parts of humanity. Yeah, but does that make it okay to kill them still? Like, like you know, you could sort of isolate this from any real world situation and sort of say, okay, just if you did have something that actually is evil, does that make it okay to exterminate them? Yeah, I mean, the the fact that we know that there are goblins who are putting in effort to not be evil, I guess, and obviously yeah. there's grey areas around this that need more critical examination, but in general, the fact that there are goblins that can put in effort to not be evil means that you probably need to have a higher burden of proof than just they're a goblin for, for an execution. Yeah, you're right. It's it's a good point because they like this is not a fantasy or sci-fi world where we can say they are kind of objectively evil because we have examples of like Toad Swallow is leading this coalition of goblins trying not to be complete shitheads. Yes, um, we know it's not that fantasy world, but I think the 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 Millie Legendaires, or oh, I've forgotten the pronunciation of her last name, but the <laughs> the those kinds of characters do think that that's the world that they live in. That there are, yeah. and that's the problem, right? That there are you know, Tolkien-esque monsters that <laughs> exist in the world and, and you know, need to be taken care of. 
Yeah, it's just because I think even in that world, like, because this is something that came up in Stargate at one point, so I've been thinking about this for years. Mm. Even in that world, if you have intelligent but, like, objectively evil beings, I still don't know if, like, genocide or or extermination is Mm. morally the correct thing. Um, yeah. Like, like so, in, in Stargate, there was a race that like had evolved to feed on humans. It was the only, the only thing they could do was eat humans. Mm-hmm. So then it became, well, is it morally okay to like wipe them out to save humans? But then we're also committing genocide. And so like, that was like a whole thing. And um, the show never actually went anywhere with it because then it remembered it's Stargate and it doesn't actually like to ask important <laughs> to end, questions, uh, ask hard questions. Yeah. <laughs> so it went back to being like dumb sci-fi, but like yeah. I, I I always thought that was like a really interesting question that um like yeah I don't know it, it sort of has a fascinating extra angle to it but I don't I think you're right that's not what we're dealing with here because like cherry pop you know cherry pop wouldn't harm anyone except herself um, yes you don't need to exterminate cherry how, how dare you exterminate cherry pop? <laughs> yeah um but sorry just one last thing because the the cannon part's an interesting angle to it though as well because okay so these goblins are trying to be better but like only in terms of Kennet and around certain people. Like, Munch still goes off on excursions to kill people violently and make dogs. Mm. So, like, how would it work? Like, you know, what if Munch was not allowed to leave Kennet? Like, what does that... You know what I mean? Like, at the moment, Kennet works because part of the deal is that they go elsewhere to be terrible. Sure. Um, I, I suppose. So what... Like, I, like, that's not really a solution. That is, like, displacing yes. the, the suffering and the pain. Yes. Um, that, and that's a separate fix to what if everywhere was going to be like Kenneth? Or what if everywhere was like, oh, we'll have goblins, but you have to be well behaved. And then they had nowhere to go and be terrible. Mm. Does that still work? Mm. Yeah. I, I guess we have, we've got these incidents of Munch doing his missions, I think he called them. But then we do have like Cherry or, or even Toad Swallow who don't seem to be doing anything villainous, right? Like, Unless I'm mistaken, we haven't seen Toad Swallow do anything too hectic, have we? Hmm. Uh, not on screen. Like, yeah. yeah. Apart from when he was off whistling or singing that song with swear words <laughs> in it. That's the craziest thing we've seen him do. Like, I, I could live with that. That's yeah. as bad as it gets. Um, yeah, exactly. But I mean, then, then you run into an interesting thing because then if we're starting to say, okay, these are the acceptable goblins and these are the unacceptable ones, like that's a whole can of worms as well. Who gets mm. to draw the line between when a goblin is allowed to live and when it isn't? Mm. Um, like yeah, that's... where's the... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> who, I mean... who gets to decide that? That's, that? that's a whole separate issue. Yeah, and that is something that's... Like, we're so far beyond that point currently for the practitioners. So I guess... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of work um, to do. Yeah. But, so I guess, like... Because the other angle to this is... I'm pretty sure just about every other we've met in this story is like shaped by people to some extent. Like, you know, mm-hmm. as, as a story we touched on, like goblins are the manifestation of gross human impulses. Mm. So it's kind of like, you know, they're meeting them on their level or punishing them is really just about like hurting that part of ourselves or um, e- even feeding it. Like, you know, if you mm. meet goblins on their level, you're kind of just probably causing more goblins to appear somewhere, like in the Warrens or whatever. Yeah. Like, or, or you know, if you're metaphorically locking them up, or sorry, if you're locking them up in the Warrens, that's just metaphorically, like, not looking at the problems with yourself. Like, mm. you know, it's like, if you could find a way to work with the goblins and accept them and, and have them fit into society better, that's kind of like lifting 
humanity up. Like mm. you could see in the world of in the world of Pale, if if every goblin could somehow be convinced to be better, that would probably make humanity better. Like I don't know if it feeds back both ways or whatever, but like symbolically, it seems like if humans can be better, then the goblins will be too, and and maybe that goes vice versa or whatever. Mm. Yeah, true. I mean, I'm sure there's a a point to be made that the people like the legendaires or whoever that do goblin exterminations, I mean, it's it's presumably to some extent creating more goblins, right? This this idea of this is the energy that they're putting out into the world. The fact that there are good and evil things is kind of a requirement for, as we kind of understand the way that this interpretive world works, people believing that goblins can be pure evil presumably contributes to the fact that goblins can be pure evil, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so moving that, moving the needle on that is not only uh, uh, the right pattern of thought, but will also help to solve the problem. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, like it, yeah, and it makes me think. Like, is this sort of because we we talked a bunch about how Toad's Law seems to stand separate to the other, um, like goblins. So often, mm. is this maybe partially what he represents, like the ability for us to lift the goblin and humankind up? Mm. Yeah, interesting. Also, uh, just, just quickly, so, yeah. While we are talking about, uh the the nature of others and stuff because we had this discussion off off uh privately and i, I wanted to bring it up because i thought we we thought of something really good uh, but it's way too late so i'm just going to shoehorn it in here <laughs> okay um, which is this idea that all of the others in ken also m- most to all of the others of ken it seem to be representative of like often and commonly sort of marginalized and disenfranchised groups in modern society like mm. um you know john is obviously a military veteran um and, and then we we're sort of like oh, i was just thinking like alpi is this is someone like like a child left behind by the foster system or something like a homeless youth mm. um miss is like an illegal immigrant with no paperwork um mm. I'm, I'm trying who have, oh matthew and edith uh, are sort of like people ruined by financial debt probably medical like you're probably talking mm. about like the u.s here um yeah so anyway that was a little insight we sort of had that i just wanted to shoehorn in here because i thought it was really interesting and uh we should have had it two months ago but here we are yeah when you sent me this i thought this is great let's shoehorn it in wherever we can (laughs) (sighs) um (laughs) so uh yes back to this week (laughs) yeah so i to to come back to this argument um you know avery kind of uh, gently chastises Lucy for getting into another little spat here, right? <laughs> um, and she says, Avery says to her the phrase, we can't go to the mat for every single thing. And Lucy's response is, can't we? If we let it go, aren't we condoning it? And this, I just love Lucy so much. I, I've always been a number one Avery fan, but <laughs> Lucy is really starting to, to threaten the top spot in my heart with lines like this. She's just such a crusader, and I love that that word applies to her in so many ways. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I don't know where I stand with this. Like to me, this is is similar to what we're talking about last week, where like Lucy has that thing where she wants to go out and fix everyone, whereas Avery was sort of like, "Oh, I just want to know that my family accepts me for who I am." And mm. and this is, I think, a sort of related 
difference of opinion and i don't know where i stand because i like i agree with lucy like you know to to stand around and and let these things slide is is terrible but at the same time if you immediately say isolate yourself and, and get to the point where no one is, is going to talk to you because of that like is that better than say picking your fights and winning a couple mm. uh, like yeah i i don't know and then where do you draw the line like if you are picking your fights like how do you know which ones to pick and which ones not to like it's mm. so i yeah i don't know where i stand on this i agree with lucy but there's a practical side to avery's argument that i think is not not something i can immediately dismiss i think you're starting to lose the battle already if you if you're starting to think i know right like that's what's so insidious about it is if you're starting to think like that you're already thinking through the in the framework that is like a counter to what you're trying to achieve yeah because what happens is you start to get used to letting those things slide and before you know it like yeah fighting like you used to but then at the same time like it, it, what if you achieve more that way? Like, does that make it worth it? Like, mm. I don't. There's mm. an argument for that, I think. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know. These are complicated arguments that I think we don't have enough insight <laughs> to to answer for people. No, that's um, fair. But these, it's great that these are the kinds of questions that this story is able to raise for us. You know, that's what I find yeah. so exciting about this work is it is putting uh, a wrapper of modern urban fantasy around some really interesting. Uh, modern political questions i think that's great yeah like this is stuff worth thinking about like this is a question i should be able to answer for myself and yeah hopefully hopefully i will by the end um, yeah hopefully wabo has the answers for us <laughs> yeah, yeah just just tell me what to do um so quick side note before we uh move out of the the bathroom uh scene here mm-hmm. um so part of the culture of this school is everyone drops off their um things about what they want to eat and then they all take them back to their room and eat them in there Mm-hmm. and maybe it's just my that's a really weird weird system social to me like you know ha- having like boarded at a school for a bit and like gone to a college like it was always there was like a dining hall or whatever. yes like it's a i feel like it says a lot about the social structure of this school that there's no communal eating um everyone just yeah, goes back to their room it's not communal right like meal times are such a traditionally communal time for yeah across all kinds of civilizations and this is something that is just so explicitly um you know dis dis decentralized i guess yeah like the only time people are ever really together in this school is when they're working or like mm-hmm. having lessons like it's it's such a businessy thing i don't get the impression this place is actually building friendships as much as it is alliances yeah 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 definitely and the fact that these classes i mean it's not it's interesting it's not antagonistic the relationship between the children but or the students i should say but um it definitely feels like whether it's stated or not there is this you know atmosphere of the students not becoming friends with each other which is so strange and it seems counterintuitive to what alex set out to do and and maybe there are exceptions to this we've got you know zed we've got nicolette we've got brie and they seem to be quite friendly but then we have even people like jessica who are you know i I would say seems like a pretty good person on the surface but is definitely not someone who is here to make any friends (laughs) although to be fair 
Jessica is like, cause, cause you know, like the college I went to and stuff, you could still take your food into your room if you wanted to. It was like yeah. the default was to be in the hall, but you could go back if you wanted to. Yeah. Jess is absolutely the sort of person who would just take it to her room every night anyway. So yeah, probably not a huge difference for her. Um, but yeah, like, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I do think you're right. Like friendships are being formed here, but like it, it's, it's close knit groups. It's not, there's not this sort of larger communal, uh, like default friendship with each other that you sort of mm. form by making everyone sit at big tables in a dining hall. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Something to keep an eye on, I suppose. Um, so, uh, Avery and Lucy head to class with everyone's favorite character, Radical Ray, and <laughs> almost immediately things start to go off of the rails. He opens it up with a great pun, and you think this is going to be yeah, a he's going to be great. Lesson. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, let our, let our guard down from a great pun, and then deliver the the sucker punch right to our face. <laughs> it's it's so mean. Um, it just before we do get into the class, because we we skipped over, there's there's a section where they're waiting for the class to start, where they they um have a, for want of a better word, chat with Jess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like I'm I'm already like in love with Jess as a character. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. She just gives zero fucks about anyone mm-hmm. here. Um, like she's sort of about this place. We we're getting more and more tidbits of like her backstory, and I can't like I do hope. Avery and her get to have this business arrangement at some point. Um, because I want to like, why is Jess so she's like dedicated her whole life at this point to getting her cousin back. Like what she must've been partially responsible for whatever happened to her cousin. But yeah. To be I think this I got that vibe too. To it. Yeah. So, uh, that is a tragic and heart wrenching tale. I can't wait to, to find out more about at some point. Yeah, do you think we're going to get more of an exploration of that and and more of Jess's stuff as we go on? I I, I think because Jess strikes me as such a like ideal ally for the Kennedys, expert on the ruins, which is obviously where all the Carmine B stuff went down. Uh fairly like isolated from the rest of the practitioner community, so probably an easier sell for the Kennedys to be like, mm. hey, this is a practitioner, but she's like you know part of like a, a you know indigenous culture and doesn't really get on with any of the other practitioners they could be like oh okay yeah um yeah I, I don't know she seems like she'll be so useful and uh she's just cool so i hope we see more of her <laughs> yeah it's interesting i think i think we will i think it's interesting because she is somebody that is set up as kind of an ally but very very not friendly <laughs> i just think that's <laughs> such a fun dynamic and um uh, yeah putting aside all the things where she she's clearly avery is clearly later on testing the waters of like is this somebody that i can consider an ally to help me you know discuss parts of my identity that i'm kind of coming to terms with and stuff like that right um yeah well it's, I, it's that whole thing like what, what were we told by zed you there'll be people who are friends and people who you can trust but like almost never both that's as crazy like, like, to me as well that's such a crazy quote <laughs> i mean i'm starting to get what it looks like to have someone that you can trust but isn't a friend in jessica yeah um well even alexander is someone like that because you could trust that alexander is always doing something evil behind the scenes right mm-hmm. so like in a way you can you can trust his motives even if it's like you know you're trusting the opposite of what he says that's still mm. you could extend trust to him and what he's going to do whereas you know he's not a friend yeah yeah okay 
Maybe that makes sense. I don't know. If you're trusting someone to act shittily, I don't know if I would call that trusting them at all. (laughs) I mean, we're arguing semantics, which is like, I don't know, let the spirits decide, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so yeah, we get into Ray's lesson, and uh, there's a lot of uh, sparkly lights and cool things going on. (laughs) Yeah, this is like really cool um, just from like a a writing perspective, because, you know, it would obviously be dull if it was just like 20 paragraphs in a row of Ray expositing at us. Um, so it's like, not only is it a cool idea for a lesson by Ray, um, sort of, he, he does all right as a teacher in mm-hmm. some ways, um, mm-hmm. but he, like, I don't know, it was just like, it was great to sort of mix up the the exposition with like all this cool fucking lights show and holograms and stuff uh, just to make reading it more fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm yeah um yeah it's it is an interesting lesson i think it's he (laughs) uses his techniques to create a very interesting as in like um encouragingly interesting and compelling and a great way to learn some of these concepts uh having said that i don't think he's a great teacher um, no, <laughs> me either. Uh, let's. Why don't we save that till the end? So we've got we sort of got the whole context for uh, how we can rip into his teaching style. Yeah, fair. Um, yeah, cool. So yeah, okay. Well, first I want to pull. I want to call out this bit. So there's a part where he brings Lucy. So obviously, okay. Should we should we save that until the end? Because a lot of it is no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now let's just let's just get into it. Yeah. Yeah, so he brings Lucy up, um, and he kind of is a huge dick to her and then kicks her out of the class. That's You all know what happens. <laughs> Let, we'll get through it, and, and obviously it kind of gets contextualized a bit more in the next chapter, and so we'll talk about it more as we find all that stuff out. But f- to start off with, I wanted to touch on this bit where there's this reference to an insinuation that Lucy picks up on that Ray seems to have accidentally made. And I'm, I mean, call me Ray, but I also didn't get that insinuation that was being made. It's when he says... There are other things that are part of a presentation. Imagine, if you will, an actor appearing on your favorite show that you know is a jerk off screen, and this kind of upsets Lucy. But I didn't, I didn't really get it. It's because he he's just called her onto the stage. Mm. Like it's basically what he says is he's like, "Hey, Lucy, get up here." And then the second she's up here, he's like, "Now imagine if there was some trash person on the stage." Okay, I I <laughs> guess I don't know. That feels like a stretch to me. Um, uh, yeah, I I don't know. It, like the the way it was. Like with the whole, you know, if if you sort of read that whole section word for word, um, I I it flowed pretty easily to me. Just the way Lucy's like, okay, I guess I'll be on stage now, and he's already sort of been treating her like shit with telling yeah. her to put her hands down and stuff. So like it for me, it flowed. She's like, okay, I will hop on stage now, and then he's like, imagine an actor who you don't like is on your favorite show, and it's like, okay, like that seems targeted. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I guess. I'm 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 not gonna go to bat defending Radical Ray, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if he consciously meant it or whatever, but like it it's certain it looks bad. Yeah, there's uh, whether he did or not, there's enough other stuff to talk about in there that he's uh <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's it's troubling. Um so Lucy is being pretty good here, right? Like she takes a few beats of intentionally not giving an appropriately snarky response to Radical Ray, <laughs> and it just doesn't help at all. I mean, yeah, like this is so aggravating right from the start. It, like, you know, it sort of gets described later as both of them pushing each other's buttons 
like mm. accidentally very well. Mm. But definitely from Lucy's perspective, we do have to remember we're seeing this from Lucy's perspective, but it's hard not to just like, you know, it seems like he's the one pushing buttons that don't need to be pushed, whereas she's kind of reactively pushing buttons. Like he because he's got like this sort of later on we learn um after the fact, oh, you know, her doing XYZ was impacting the simulation. Mm. Would it have killed him to explain that? Well, that's like... what that's what Avery <laughs> says, right? And his response yeah. is, no, I don't have to explain myself. If you don't like it, go to a different class, which is yeah, a, like... a completely shitty response. It's such a trash attitude. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, it's definitely like, it's sort of like, oh, they were both pushing each other's buttons, but I can't help but like look at the scene a second time and still think, Ray seems to be the one actively going around pushing buttons, and Lucy's just like trying to be chill and accidentally pushing those buttons. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what Ray, what was in Ray's head as he was doing this. But like, I've actually headcanoned uh, that you know Alexander and his little strife uh, boys may have been between these two. Mm. Like, just just sort of thinking. I think Avery touches on it halfway through next chapter she's like i wonder if there was something else going on between them and yes I was just immediately like oh well you know this school's fucking run by captain putting bits of strife in people's connections like we saw him do that in the hungry choir so mm. um interesting I wonder, if, I wonder if alexander planted some little seeds because this just evolved between these two so quickly like ridiculously yeah. quickly it did. I I had that. I had that. Uh, well, I didn't have that thought, but I had a thought when when Avery makes that comment of like, is it just that it's the stuff we find out about the simulation being disrupted? Like, is that what Avery is thinking about, or is there more going on here? But I didn't really think of what that could have been. Um, the idea that that uh, Alex is intentionally messing with um, their relationships in some kind of plan that he's got cooking is a very juicy one. It's also, it feels very Alexander to me for him to just subtly, like, weaken their connection with the other, like, important people in the school so they have to keep coming to him because he loves it when people have to come to him. And we'll talk about that at the end of Mm. these two chapters. Mm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's worth pointing out, apart from him being a bad teacher, this is an interesting class (laughs) class <laughs> you know um it's great to get a, a a very visceral kind of look into um into these realms like it's it's things that were basically just lines on a textbook before now to our characters and and they're seeing it in a very tangible and visceral way which i think is a good way to learn about it so that's you know yeah. uh credit where it's due give them a point for that yeah not just cool for us to read like it's cooler for us to sort of get descriptions of it but like you can imagine for them, it's like the difference between reading that and actually seeing it would be huge if this is real stuff for you. Mm. Um, I, I also love how Ray is skipping over a lot of the basics because it feels like that is a really clever way from Wilbur's perspective to be like, oh, I can skip like, you know, boring details that do exist in this world, but just tell you guys the stuff that like actually matters. Mm. Like, like he just gets to write the important bits. Like, we, so we skip straight to chapter seven. Mm. Um, and like, there's a bunch I I still think is worth talking about here. Like, we don't need to recite the whole lesson. Um, but like, Lucy's hair was sort of one of the big oh moments for me. Like, I think it was last week we were like, oh, I wonder what Lucy's hair means and whether yeah. it'll come back. And it turns yeah. out right here. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's great to get more info on some of these things that have we kind of had inklings towards what they've been um, hinting at. But uh, yeah, it's definitely good to to basically have a, a teacher explain it to us. Yeah, and, well, and what I it's one of those things like, and this is what I always love about the the other verse stuff is it, it makes me feel dumb for not guessing this is what it was. Like after mm. the fact, I'm like, oh yeah, like the the whole. So the reason it's kind of Lucy has this like in her hair is she is someone who wears her emotions and opinions like on her sleeve. So that sort of magically manifested as her having her, you know, power level uh, displayed publicly because she's someone who is putting all that stuff out there. Um, and it was just like, oh, yeah, like, of course, like reading that, I was like, that makes so much sense. Of course, it was Lucy and not the other two who <laughs> has this. Um but yeah, like I, all, all I'd gotten, the only part of that that I'd gotten was, oh, it might be her, her hair because her hair is such an important and yeah. defining part of her life. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just, I, I love how many little reveals we get like that in these stories of just logical leaps that I didn't make. But when I see them, I'm like, oh yeah, that's obvious. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And that's something that we know is, 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 and has been happening this entire story. And it's just always such a treat when things yeah. that have kind of, meant one thing get contextualized to be like oh there's like three things going on here and it's really great to find <laughs> out about them all yeah yeah um the other thing like I, we can't talk about it in too much detail this is one of those things that doesn't translate well to like uh, a podcast like this yeah but, uh the the tour of the fairy courts is such a wild ride because i think like the first time you read it you're like where the fuck is it? like what is all this uh, mm. And maybe people cleverer than me pick it up towards the end or something. But like, mm. I had a lot of fun rereading this the second time, knowing it was the courts, and sort of being like, "Oh, this is that court. This is this court." Mm. Um, and just getting a bit more insight into what these courts represent. Um, mm. Yeah, so it's just a really fun section. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree that it doesn't translate super well. So let's <laughs> we don't need to spend too much time on it because it's uh... let's recite them in order yeah exactly like, well, if you want that there's a there's a pale <laughs> audiobook that you can go and check out <laughs> um but uh yeah uh, okay so uh then lucy is sent out uh he kind of swishes and flicks and and, and banishes her from his classroom which is great um <laughs> and yeah she is outside now uh i mean yeah i i, I like to beat a dead horse, like Ray just handles everything about this and just like what seems to me like the worst possible way. Mm. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, probably for both of their benefit that she's out of that situation with him, but um, yeah, could, could you handle it worse? Is my question. Yeah, uh, no, he couldn't have, I don't think. Well, no, he probably could have, <laughs> but it's pretty bad either way. Um, so yeah, Lucy is outside now and almost immediately bumps into Zed, uh, who can. See how upset she is um, immediately. I mean, it's pretty clear Zed was either monitoring her or or Ray's class in general, and was yes. waiting for something like this to happen. Yep. Um, and he so he comes and and kind of talks to Lucy and fills Lucy in on some of the stuff that uh, was happening here. Um, I I can't help but empathize with Ray here. I, mm. He is clearly a bad teacher. He is unable to deal with students and he's clearly not somebody who is able to be like, I, I guess nurturing is kind of the word I would use. 
and therefore yeah. I think he is a bad teacher. But he clearly has a lot going on as a person. If if he wasn't a teacher, I would be a hundred percent okay with him as a person. You know, like he's yeah. just. Yeah. Yeah. The the problem with Ray is that he's doing a job he probably shouldn't be doing. He just shouldn't. Um oh, yeah. But this is a very sad backstory and I do feel I do feel for him. Yeah, we we finally get some extra details on all the stuff with his son and like oh like it's all kinds of mess up. Like his son basically chose to die uh to spite him essentially. So like yeah. I can understand why he has a very full-on visceral reaction to someone being angry to him yeah like it it totally makes sense but um yeah maybe maybe don't be a teacher there yeah um yeah i guess we get some context from alex next chapter that he's reco- he's he's in recovery you know i mean yeah and from what we know of his past he does seem like the kind of person who potentially before his son's death would have been a really good teacher yeah, like, can you see that? Like, absolutely. So maybe we're just literally catching him at the worst possible moment. I don't know. I yeah, I I think we are, but it's like that. So that's the sort of person you make sure they have a teaching assistant or yeah, some sort of supervisor as as they're getting back into the groove of things. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like what Ray needs is maybe a better support structure, um, mm. and you're not going to get that from Alexander. Probably. No. Yeah. Um, he seems like a very hands-off, what's the word for it? Principal, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say can't, but sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Elliot, this story goes outside, this uh, this podcast goes out of Australia, you can't use that word oh, yeah. outside of Australia, Sorry. Elliot, come on. Um, um, dickhead. Yeah. A, a real tosser. <laughs> uh, anywho. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Lucy goes uh, for a walk to kind of cool off and... Um, over here's somebody talking about her. Um, and we'll get to this in a second, but uh, something really interesting that I noticed was, um, she hears her name and we kind of know how that works because when somebody says your name, it's kind of reinforces the connection to you. Right. So it kind of pings you. Um, but she also hears Kenneth when, when they say Kenneth, she hears that. And I think that's great. Like that's a representation of the fact that their identity is so tied to Kenneth now that somebody mentioning Kenneth kind of pings for them. And I think that's really awesome. But I, and very fascinating that we find out that that's how that works, that that's a possibility. I thought that was great. Yeah. Cause I think didn't someone mention towards the end of arc three or the beginning of arc four, that they, the fact that they'd gone to bat for Kenneth had was increasing their relationship with it and they were becoming tight closer to Kenneth. Mm. I feel like somebody specifically brought that up and this is like a cool example of it like mm. as you say like like actually making that tangible um mm. and yeah i mean this is obviously a juicy juicy bit of uh like i mean you know like we weren't just gonna have them be at the school and be normal students for an arc or whatever yeah um so this is the we're finally starting to see what the drama uh of the school is gonna be and it's i mean yeah i can't wait this is presumably going to be the next sort of conflict in the story and uh yeah. Let's see what happens. Yeah, definitely. Um, we will find out more about this next chapter because we jump into Living a Mark 4.7, which is uh, championed by Avery. And it starts with her kind of reacting to the scene that just went down with Radical Ray, where she's kind of unsure of how to react. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
this is a tough like what what was she supposed to do um because she like i guess she could it's that argument we were having before like she could take a stand and and not let it slide or i guess she sort of just decides that she's more useful going through the rest of this class Mm. yeah yeah like we kind of see that there isn't really anything that uh she could have done other than just try and learn as much as she can in this class so she can fill in lucy later (laughs) (laughs) um Um, yeah yeah so again bad ray bad teacher but this is a fun lesson Uh, he makes he basically makes a random diagram (laughs) and asks you to interpret it which is a a great practitioner lesson like i think it's a really fun and uh, radical if you excuse the word um way to teach no, I, I think it's great <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry uh, but it, yeah it's a fun um, lesson um yeah i agree like i had a lot of fun following along with it mm. um like i i managed to restrain myself from like trying to do it myself before ivory but um i had so much fun like following her her train of thought as jessica um helps her uh along mm. yeah um yeah this is weird (laughs) this this interaction with jessica is very fun but very strange okay so the way okay so zed says to her to jessica that she needs to work with others better which 100 percent true good work zed doing the lord's work (laughs) um and her interpretation of this is she's already decided on the correct answer so working with others isn't just giving away the answer. It's kind of giving oblique hints towards the way that the other person should be thinking, which I mean is kind of right. And Avery even accepts like, yeah, you're right. I can't fault that logic, but it is annoying. Well, it's like basically Jessica has decided she's not going to discuss or change her opinion. Yes. So the only way she can work with them is to work them towards her answer. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I, again, I already said, I, I find Jessica's difficultness very fun. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose in much the same way I like the fairy or Alexander, which is not a favorable comparison, I admit, but um, I like her a lot more as a person than either of those groups. Um, mm. I, I think it's like, like the other thing that comes out of this is Avery and Jess, you know, sort of start to talk as people. Mm. Um, and we see a very different sort of side to it. Like, I think from Lucy's perspective, it's just kind of like, wow, this this woman's difficult and doesn't want anything to do with us. Like, fine. Yeah. Um, whereas Avery, you know, I mean, this is like, Avery's going through this whole shit again that she went through um, at the, the school in Kennet. Like, she's absolutely gutted that Jess doesn't want to be her friend. Doesn't want to be a best friend, exactly. And it's so like, for Jess, like, but the thing is, the reason it hurts Avery so much is because Avery knows Jess isn't even thinking about it like that. Like Jess, mm. Jess isn't actively rejecting her friendship. She's kind of so apathetic that it doesn't even really register. Yeah, um, which is like actually worse. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting how this very quickly um, gets gets. It, it's the exact right button to push to get Avery to be like, "I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to be dedicated <laughs> to being your friend," which I think is great. Um, yeah but wait you know avery manages to break through and form like a business connection yeah um which is you know the first step to friendship i think yeah um yeah it actually goes pretty well and and they they really get this uh an answer that seems to be the closest in the class like they do very well as a team yeah there's the other group that gets kind of 
like the same it's like the same steps in logic but a very different answer um mm. and then there's just one group who flubs it um mm. but ray ray is a completely terrible teacher and he's sort of like hey you know this is good i guess but do this next time Mm. Uh, which is actually decent feedback uh, from us. <laughs> so yeah, good work, point. Ray. You've redeemed yourself. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, so yeah, I, it, it's interesting watching Avery start to navigate more social situations, especially since she's alone again. Like I think in general, she'll hopefully do a lot better in this school because she has like Lucy, Verona, Snowdrop, mm. uh, even her her glamour, uh, maybe. Mm. as as support structures um but like you know it's it's really interesting sort of see her try to navigate this social environment a bit alone um and then obviously we get the cool law stuff which is there's like levels to these realms yes but there's not just the ruins but there's like you can go deeper into the ruins and get more ruinsy um which feels just immediately to me jumped out like well okay we're gonna go back to Kenna and explore like the ruins level two right yeah yeah I, what's going to be on on ruins floor two where the Carmembis stuff was right yeah especially because I, I i don't think these levels will be like separate spaces like even the ruins no. right it, the, the ruins exist it's sort of like feeding from reality mm. and so like I, I would see this deeper level as like exaggerating the ruinsy part of reality and diminishing the reality reality part so it'd be like mm. an exaggerated version of the ruins that we know which mm. just would presumably maybe make certain clues stand out more like they'd be bigger in this space or something um yeah i, I think like, that's the case too and we know that there was some evidence of um of stuff in the ruins like leftover leftovers is that the right word <laughs> from the carmine beast um so presumably if we go down two or three levels maybe that's where we'll find more explicit clues yeah especially because i i sort of conceptually view each like realm or dimension or whatever we're calling them in this world as aligning to a certain concept mm. um so like the, the spirit world is sort of a, a representation of how much things mean and then the ruins mm. have sort of been described as where old ideas sort of go to get broken down mm. so so what i would imagine is as you go deeper into the ruins what you it would almost be akin to going back in time symbolically like because what, you, what you're looking at is is more broken down ideas so yeah like if if you go to where the carmine beast was killed and you go into the ruins you'll see like more of of what happened there because that's the idea that has infected this place and is being broken down there yeah but interesting. if that's already started to dissipate maybe you've got to go another level and yeah see like the ideas that have been broken down more and and they'll maybe be more abstract it when they're there but it will be like the essences of them i really like that i really like that as an idea and i hope that we get to see that the conversation about like how do we how deep do we have to go to get a valuable clue oh can we risk mm. going another level we might get more information on what happened kind of thing you know I, and there's costs associated like the further you go from reality because i like i'm assuming you know if you go fucking whatever five levels i don't even think it's distinct levels it's probably like i imagine the ruins as a spectrum mm. um in and of itself but like you know if how far down do you have to go before you're essentially being a finder like avery like i would view the paths like zoom town or something as like the ruins but if it wasn't powerful enough to sustain a level that's close to reality so you have to jump down like five levels to get mm. there at all 
Mm. Um, so, like, yeah, how how deep do you have to go? What does it cost? What does it do to you there? Because you know the way the ruins pulls at your soul and your heart a bit. Like, presumably, as as you go, well, I think it's said, as you go deeper, that gets more and more. So, what what does it take to get there? Mm. So much, yeah. so much cool stuff to explore here. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, yeah, so so uh, Ray collects their answers, and Avery and Jessica were very close. Um, and and then Ray goes on to kind of discuss implements, familiars, and domains. Um, we kind of know some of the basics yeah. of this, but we get a lot of really interesting, juicy uh, deets here. Yeah, I mean, this stuff's so fun. Um, yeah, let's let's just get into it. You're right; it's it's so cool. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just it's it's uh, I don't know. I mean, we we'll talk about some of this stuff, but again, it's we're not really just going to kind of summarize textbook excerpts here because <laughs> that doesn't really work that well. Um, so we'll we'll talk about and pull out some of the interesting things that happen here. But uh, again, check out the audio book or just read it in, in like you know written form if you uh, if you want to dive into it again because it is uh, well worth it. Yeah, I mean, presumably, if you're listening to this, you have read it at least once. Um, if you haven't, reach out to us. I'm very, very curious to hear from people who listen to this but aren't reading the story because that's there can't be many people doing that. Mm. Um, but yeah, so okay, well, to dive in, I, like, the the first thing that comes up is implements. Um, and, and I think the cool thing about what we're sort of touching here is like, so the, what we really learn here, or at least I did, was like how much the like implements shape how you practice like it's basically kind of defining your signature move um in a way like you're sort of saying this is the way i work and it will like help you do that but kind of cuts you off from everything else Mm -hmm. um and so like we've got jessica again jessica is kind of to put on this raincoat which i thought fits the imagery of the ruins like so perfectly but she sort of locked herself into being a ruins practitioner for life now right like what happens if she rescues her cousin in two months time yeah um she is still gonna have to be a ruins practitioner right? oh yeah i mean she's kind of tied herself to that right so yeah uh, regardless that's kind of the way that she's gonna have to practice which i mean i don't know maybe she'll just kind of drop out of the practice completely is that something that happens uh, i don't yeah, know can you do that can she yeah <laughs> is that possible I mean, you'd still have to do the truth-telling stuff, which I feel like would be hard in, in certain parts of society. Right? Yeah. Although I suppose she lives out on a reserve, right? Maybe it's easier out there. Cause, yeah, true. Like, if the people are cooler. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just find it interesting, especially for a place that is... Like, it seems from Alexander's speech that a big part of the mission of this school is to stop everyone being so... just doing their own thing in the practice. Like, you're meant yes. to round yourself off a bit more. Yes. Um, so it's so interesting that one of the first things we talk about is here's a way to kind of lock yourself in to certain ways of working that will close off other doors. Mm. Um, especially because our principal has one of these. Like Alexander has what seems to me like it must be the most fucking basic implement. Like he actually picked a wand. Like how uninspired must that decision have been? <laughs> like I assume <laughs> that just sounds like it to me. Like Jessica's picked like a cool raincoat, which is like. Oh, look at me! I, I fit into the uh, to the ruins, and 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 I have all this cool stuff. And Alexander's like, "Yeah, I pretty much stand for the status quo, so I'm going to be a wizard with a wand." Yeah, um, yeah. <sighs> it is funny that he's got a wand. What a dweeb! <laughs> um, <laughs> so, okay, so as we're learning about familiars as well, we learn about uh, the backstory with Talia and Effie. 
which is insane. <laughs> um, the the dollmaker mother, who we didn't really get that much of read on before, is clearly a psychopath. This is the one that I think Verona's <laughs> in the class of right now, right? Yes, yes. So that's uh, terrifying. Well, um, no, the mother is actually not in the class uh, when Lucy gets there because she's off talking to Mr. Bristow. She's the one who says Lucy's name. Um, so she's on team, not Alexander, which makes me think that there's not a good guy team in this war over the school. There's just bad guy teams. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, like the fact, <sighs> the fact that this mum was like proud when Talia and Effie. Oh my God, I know. Such a, like, it's like, like oh just... fuck, that's probably what they wanted to happen. Or, I mean, was an outcome that they anticipated and were, you know, aiming for. It's just that stupidest for? kind of manipulative. Like I think Avery describes them as not so, and I think that that's the perfect term for it. I was just like, yeah, this lady's fucking the worst. Mm. <sighs> yeah. Um, now, now, having said that, I think it was interesting to note that Tali's response when she was a child in this situation was to awaken in secret and then talk to Effie and and work together, right? And and it's yeah. a let's solve this together rather than let's fight each other reaction. And it's this kind of indicator that I liked that maybe there is at least in 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 these in children a a a desire to resolve problems with unity rather than by you know subjugating these others and potentially that's something that only exists in children until it's kind of stomped out by the practitioner society at large <laughs> but um yeah yeah it was it was interesting it was was a nice moment i really like that cuz cuz you're right like we don't know i mean well presumably talia and effie grew up together so they would have been close, but there would have been this sense coloring any relationship they might have had of like, Effie was designed to replace Talia if the mum decided she wasn't up to snuff, which the fuck. Um, but mm. like, you know, their response was still like they overcame that and, and managed to work together. And I always love um like that sort of let's actually work together type story. And I think that that's really cool. Um that these seeds are being planted that hey these young practitioners are thinking like that to some extent mm. like talia doesn't seem to look down on effie um mm. there seems to be a fairly equitable partnership in part because effie was designed to be so close to talia that she yes. could replace her <laughs> yeah um, so you know there's there's a bit of a, a, you know a bit of a dampener on the whole oh, others are fine for talia's side of things but yeah, yeah. um I, you're right i really like that that idea that they came together and i hope that that is indicative of uh the younger practitioners being more open to in a school like this actually growing up and not being dickheads to each other yeah um i hope so <laughs> we shall oh. see so so the last thing uh, uh we've, we've done implements and familiars that also mm -hmm. ray touches on domains yep um and i just wanted to bring this up because ray mentions that his domain is a building and he talks about the sorts of places you'd pick I'm almost certain Ray has picked the building that the blue heron god was in because he talks about how he's got a building full of like servers. And I'm just like, to me, it was just like, oh, okay, so Ray has taken over. Like they, they killed this god and then there must have been so much power sitting there and he took it to, to build this domain is sort of, is my thinking. Like there would have been mm. a lot to work with uh, magically speaking mm. in that place. Yeah. Um... So no point to make here except like, that's cool. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm with you think, on that. Oh, 
Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Like, if we sort of look at what implements, domains, and familiars kind of represent, like I see familiars as saying, this is how I interact with other people. Uh, domains are sort of like, this is where I want to be. And then implements are sort of saying, this is how I interact with the world at large. Um, mm. It's interesting to then sort of look at, say, the, the three heads of schools and look at which ones of those they have. Like mm. Alexander has a domain. He sort of claimed the school. We know he's tied to it. He has his implement, which is very much like, I am tradition. I am the system. Mm. Uh, but he doesn't have a familiar because I don't think he plays well with others. Mm. Um, I, although I guess I wouldn't be surprised if he had a familiar that was obscenely subservient to him. Um, yeah, I could see that as well. Something that he very much was in control of. Although I suppose if you have if you have an like a familiar that's so at the point where you completely control them, I wonder how useful that actually is. Mm. They, they touch on this a little bit, but like I feel like the amount of control Alexander would want is probably just to the point where it may not be worth it for him. Mm. Whereas like Durashay actually has just a familiar, um, and it's that you know crazy monchi thing that has been eating for three years or whatever. But that sort of is indicative that she values these connections to things to me or connections to others and, and people. I'm still just desperate for her to turn out to be a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. building a narrative where she has to be a cool person. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, it's so interesting that we, we first met Alexander and he was a villain. He was like painted as a villain and we next met him and he's kind of this Dumbledore type. And now we're getting to the much more gray zone of where the 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 reality is here. Um, and I just don't know where I land on, is this school good or bad? <laughs> and I know that's a reductive question, but I can't help but ask it, you know? Yeah, I, I can see good and bad sides to it, but you're right. Like, where does the, where does the math come out at the end if you add up all the pros and cons? Yeah. Um, I, I guess we'll sort of see. Um, yeah. I also... Just to touch on Ray as well, because Ray only has a domain, and it's like this world he created, and he sort of—I bet you—he spends a lot of time in there. Well, he's, he's kind of says, <laughs> "Oh a lot yeah, work into it." So it's like you know, it's just symbolic of how Ray is a bit disconnected from everyone else. He sort of lives in his domain, in his own reality. Yeah, and he, yeah, he's, exactly. He's in his own reality, and he's simulating everyone else uh, pretty well. But when someone doesn't conform to his simulations, he boxes he freaks them up out. and ships them outside. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> uh so yeah, uh, class ends and and every goes outside and and meets with the rest of the trio to discuss all the stuff all the wild stuff that has already happened and we're only halfway through the first day. Um <laughs> wow. Uh Good point we are too. Yeah. So uh they they kind of start talking about Bristow and they get some details on him. Um his specialty is collecting the aware so people who kind of incidentally have fallen into the practice and he basically has an apartment that he owns where apartment building sorry where a bunch of them all live which is very unsettling and begs the obvious question of like what does he do with these people and and (laughs) how is this a practice like what does this even mean um and i'm terrified to obviously get the answer to that question when we do in a little bit uh yeah absolutely because like at first i was sort of like okay he's like capturing people who are at risk right of like falling and 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 ending up in a bad situation and and you know he talks like oh he wants to start he tried to start another school he wants to open this school up even more he's you know catching people who are slipping through the cracks like yeah on paper that all sounds great but it's like Mm -hmm. he's collecting them and 
putting them in his building. Like, what does rent look like to live in this building? What, yeah. is, what does he get out of this? I can't help but, like, aside from those bits that on paper seem good, I can't help but look at it from the other side and think, I don't, you know, there's some weird power dynamic here that I just don't trust it. Yeah, not in the least the question of, like, are these people that he kind of uses as, like, they fight for him, or are they people that are, like, batteries in some way that he can yeah. drain, you know? Like, even that question is terrifying regardless of the answer to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I, it just seems unlikely to me that he sort of does this for their own good. Or, you know, like, also, does he, again, like, just touch on something we sort of brought up earlier, is he actually helping people not do this anymore, or is he, like allowing people to start yeah, to definitely. fall through the cracks so he can claim them. Because um, that would be, if if it's people he can't help and he manages to put them in here and, you know, there's like a tax of, oh, give me 1% of your power and, and I can own this building and keep you all safe and also yeah. do some of my other stuff. That's not great, but not as repugnant as a lot of the other stuff going on in this world. And the fact that that's, like, I agree with you, and the fact that that's a possibility means it's not that, right? It's not yeah. the thing that's not. <laughs> if it's going to be something, it's not the thing that's like the the most charitable possible interpretation. No, I, I agree. I don't think we're going to walk out of this thinking, oh, Bristow was the good guy. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to be a, a, a war for the school with sides that I don't like either of them. And I just am going to want Jess, Nicolette, Zed, and the Kennedys to go off and start their own school. Mm. Um, if, like nice people. They can be the nice <laughs> practitioner school. The nice school. Yeah. Um, um <clears throat> one one last sort of little bit as they're going through like i think they're also looking as they had this discussion on like what else is coming up in classes mm. and lucy sort of takes note that there's not a lot of stuff on karma uh in the upcoming classes and mm. obviously lucy gets labeled as something else in the extra material that we'll talk about in a sec but um and I think I've seen other people mention this, but like Lucy as a practitioner who sort of focuses on karma uh, actually makes a lot of sense to me. Like she, she is someone who's obsessed with like making sure people are good people and like wanting to, you know, punish those who aren't. And so, like, I think there's, yeah, there's an alignment there between the way she sort of thinks of people and, and the way karma works. What I think will be interesting is, <laughs> do the spirits have the same judgment values as her? Like, what if the spirits are like, yes, this thing's cool, but Lucy disagrees. Like, how does she... Interesting, yeah. Like, would she be able to deal with that, or is that, or, or is that something she can tune out, or should well, she... Yeah. I mean, the, the kind of current status quo is, if not explicitly encouraged by the spirits, at least kind of reinforced, right? Like, the status quo being... Yeah practitioners as the kind of controllers of these Pokemon suite of others that they have access to. <laughs> um, like that is seemingly the system that the universe is naturally tending towards in this world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's the other thing is like, haven't we sort of been told that the spirits react to what people think is the status quo? Yeah, true. Like there's the discoursing. So, you know, does this also give Lucy the tools to start to edit what the spirits think in certain ways yeah like, and you know, that may not be a global thing but like is that something she can make the spirits around her less or you know up update their moral code a bit yeah is that a thing that she could do interesting yeah very interesting um we also so there's this thing i wanted to bring up because so avery has this moment where she points out oh verona seems very very happy 
um to the and like i didn't think anything of it because at first i was like well of course she is um like this school is everything verona would have wanted yeah um but the the way avery seems a bit perplexed by it caught my attention and so like, i guess content warning for for suicide related stuff um like something i've heard is if someone with depression suddenly has a massive mood turnaround and they're suddenly very happy and positive you actually need to watch them for suicide even more because it's uh like you know there there's it's something like about how like they've they've kind they've of resolved of, to to fix their situation right yeah it's like a weight off their shoulders that they found an escape yeah um and and so like if if Avery hadn't been so perplexed by this I w- I wouldn't think anything of it but like that comparison just sort of came into my head a little bit when I saw Avery be so confused by it so I, I don't know if that's what's happening here but like Verona has obviously started to make headway. She's got her scissors that she's yeah. powering um, yeah. with herself. Like she's she's got practical stuff she's moving towards with her plan to turn into an other, other which we have tied to suicidal ideation in the past. So yeah. I wonder if that is something. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's easy to have the thought of, well, she's in her element. Like, of course, she's starting to kind of turn around. I don't know. Um She's also taken some small actions to like cut ties from her dad, which could be a positive thing, could be a, <laughs> I don't know, a yeah. warning sign. Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess we'll see how it evolves. Um, yeah. I mean, speaking of like just this whole other thing, I mean, something we didn't touch on from the familiar discussion was uh, what was brought up is, you know, the perks for an other in becoming a familiar is they get to have a a sense of mortality they get to i think the quote is like have a heartbeat uh to have warmth the ability to taste food and i don't know how much those things apply to all others but sort of like you know these are the things others are are missing like they're not if they are sort of all from people to some degree like there is usually there's something that gets lost in the process Um, well yeah i i think it's fair to say that as others you know go on over time become more and more other they lose that like the human comforts that they might have once had right yeah but it's just the fact that seemingly a lot of others will be willing to familiarize themselves in order to get a taste of that again just seems to me like something verona should be thinking about well it's interesting we haven't like the closest thing we've seen is something like Matthew or Edith turning into another, where it's this, they, I mean, they can kind of pass for human, right? So we've kind of got this point of like, maybe the way that Ray represented it as familiars, others become familiars to get a taste of that again, is is a a a lens of, of through viewing the familiar relationship that's tainted by the way that people view others currently as like a, a, other than human and even like subhuman, right? Um, and I mean, so. Yeah. Sorry, Matthew and Edith didn't really seem to disagree with that. Wait, remember they gave that whole speech about how they like they even struggle at things like the DMV because the world is sort of stacked against the, others. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Maybe that's more evidence that that's kind of right. Like um, Matthew only sort of went this route to uh save Edith. Um it's not like it 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 hasn't been presented I don't think as a kind of ideal situation. Like I don't think Matthew is meant to represent something uh, Verona should look up to. No, but he is the closest we've seen in terms of a human turning into another, right? Um, So I think it's a fair point of reference for what Verona could expect. And I agree, it's not something that she should aspire to. Mm. Um, Yeah, I think think the thing we haven't quite addressed with Verona's plan to be another is like, 
her sort of making the list of what she wants to throw away. Like, what are the parts of humanity she wants to carve out of herself, to borrow the bedtime reading uh, language? Mm. And, and like, what else will that cost her? Because I assume you can't just take out the bits that you want, but there's, like, collateral that you... Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, you I'm couldn't, sure. You couldn't just cut out bad feelings about my dad. It's, like, everything to do with my dad, everything to do with my connections. Or, to like, parental or relationships in general. Yeah. And it might even be the kind of thing where she does that and then she realizes, oh, that's actually affecting the way that... I relate to Lucy and Avery because we have some kind of like, I don't know, some maternal dynamics to parts of our relationship or whatever. Um, well, and it'd be presumably some sort of cascade to your personality. Like, you yes. Know, She'd so, become yeah. even less, you know, connected to, to her, her uh, emotional side or something. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, uh, the trio are kind of talking about, uh, about this Bristow thing. And uh, suddenly Alexander pulls up in a car and he wants to chat to them about this exact awkward situation. Again, like, I'm just going to keep bragging on this guy because I'm still convinced he is the most villainous villain. He shows up in a fucking big black car. Like, could you be any more mafia if you tried, Alexander? This is ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I've really sort of ragged on his wand choice, but like, again, he just, he comes across as such like a, I, I mean, actually there's a point where Jessica kind of tears down the whole metaphor and just sort of straight up says, Alexander is like those top white guys in like the police force or the government or whatever who, you know, uh, help these like unfair systems persist. Yeah. Like, who who perpetuate <laughs> shitty systems, right? Systematic yeah, problems. Yeah, like, she's like, when I picture the guys perpetuating these systems, I basically picture Alexander. Yeah. Sort of like, yeah, like, you know, in truth, which is fair otherverse. enough. <laughs> yeah. It's the traditional other verse. Let's just like scratch out the line between the metaphor and the real life, real life thing. <laughs> um, and, and so, like, yeah, our, our sort of mafia Don esque character showing up in a black car. I was just like, come on, you can't, you can't yep. be doing this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I love when he offers to give them a ride and Lucy says, I think a ride with a strange, manipulative older man would be creepy and weird. <laughs> Lucy, you're, the, you're a hero. I love you. <laughs> yeah, she's so unwilling to indulge Alexander. Um, yes. The, the only part of it that I don't like is the fact that he seems to enjoy it as much as I do. But he, uh, yeah. He, his response to that is to smile, and I was just like, wait, you know, you're not allowed to enjoy this. I want this to irritate you. Um but he's like he's like the opposite of Ray. Like he totally thrives on them being wild practitioners. Mm. Um, in fact, that's probably. I, I was going to say my favorite bit is when he says, "I want to talk," and Verona just responds, "Apparently." Um, but I think my favorite line they actually say here is when he mentions them being wild practitioners, and I think as Lucy is like, "You're really happy that uh, Durache figured that out for you, aren't you?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, yeah, it's great. Um, this is so interesting because when we first met Alexander, we he felt like a villain. Like he feels like he was going to become a villain in the story. But it seems like the direction we're going is the trio are going to be forced to be like siding with him against um, Bristow, which I love. Like set up this guy who seems to be villainous and then force our protagonists to be on his side. I think that's going to be great. I love it. Yeah, but like I'd still use the word villain for him because oh, of course, like especially this whole thing. Like I already told you how how I think he he manipulated the relationship between Lucy and Ray to make it explode earlier. Because then he gets to come in here and be like, "Oh, you know, hey, you've just got to make it up to him and it'll be fine." It's like okay, so now it's like you have this 
partial ownership of any connection she has with Ray is how I interpret that. Mm. Like he's he's insinuated himself as a part of their relationship, mm. um, whatever that ends up being. Um, and then it's like all this stuff with Bristow, like it just stinks. I'm just like, you knew this was a possibility, didn't you? Or like the second he found out Bristow knew about Kenneth, he was like, ah, great, I can use this. Here's he, my angle, yeah, interesting. He, like, Lucy brought up last uh, last week the whole thing with like Nina not being able to say no to the librarian thing. Like Zed's mm. like, oh, she agreed to do this. And it's like, yeah, but did she really have a choice? Like, could she have said no? And and now this is the Kenneth in that situation. Like they, they yeah. sort of straight up say it. They're like, we don't want to do this, but we we have to. Like Alexander has contrived a situation where it's like, ah, oh, they have to say yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, I will I will take you under my wing. And they're not in a position to say no. Um it's yeah, like you're right. It's because it's like, they're going to have to. At, at this point, it looks like they're going to have to side with him, but it's not, they're not on a side with him. It's just yes. At, at this point, it's like the enemy of of my enemy uh, is someone I'm forced to kind of work with, I guess, even though I still hate them and they're manipulating me. Yeah, um, but having said that, goes. having said that, next chapter is almost certainly going to be Alexander delivering some exposition about how Bristow's creepy apartment complex works, which I'm totally uh, here yeah. for. So <laughs> I'm I'm on side with Alexander as a result of that. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just like Alexander finding out that Bristow is focusing on Kenneth because he thinks that's where Alexander's <laughs> power is. So now Alexander gets to drag them in to be pawns in his battle. It's just so not an accident i mean yeah he could have <laughs> intentionally led bristow to think that he had a base of power that was in kennet like that's totally yeah. a possibility that he could have done or i'm pretty convinced he probably knew the second they were like you're not allowed to tell anyone about this place he's going to be like great people are going to notice i'm keeping some area a secret and everyone yeah. else is going to hone in on it like my <laughs> like, he absolutely knew that's where it was heading <sighs> um, yeah and <laughs> and yeah he probably knew this is where i was going i can't wait to I can't wait to hate Bristow, but still feel like you know, it's just like by participating in this fight, yeah. they've already lost is what, yeah. it, what it feels like. Yeah, I get that. Um, yeah. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Next chapter. Um, we have the extra material for this week, which is the student guide, a map of the Blue Heron Institute showing us the kind of geography of the area. Plus, uh, yeah, like lists of students. Yeah, I mean, this is very cool. Like, for starters, a map is very useful because yes. I 100% was visualizing this place wrong. <laughs> uh, so, like, seeing this map, I was like, oh, okay, this is good to know because I, I was picturing it all wrong. Yeah, um, it, it really helps uh, set out the location in your head in a really nice way, doesn't it? Yeah, because I'm not, like, Walbo probably explained it well. I just, like, this is just one of those things, like, when... A paragraph goes into explaining the layout of stuff. I just tend to, like, my brain just switches off and I yeah, go with whatever I was yeah, visualizing exactly. anyway. This is why people put like, maps in books, right? Because it just helps yeah. uh, understand the geography, even if it's explained perfectly. People just don't have that information processed in their head in the same way as yeah. if it was a visual thing. Um, I do the same thing with like character things. That's why I love like getting fan art of characters so much because there will be a paragraph where Walbo puts in the effort to explain exactly what a parahuman's person yeah. looks like. In here's costume. their hair color, here's their <laughs> costume color, <laughs> here's the details, yeah. And my brain just fully ignores it, and then I'll see fan art, and that becomes my headcanon. Yeah. So I kind of like rely on that, because for whatever reason, my brain just skips those parts without me wanting it to. Yeah, um, so keep hustling out there, fan artists. You're doing yeah. the, the Lord's work. Absolutely. Um, uh, can and we... this, this map is, yeah, same thing. 
can we touch on the fact that in the map there's a place called okay first of all there's there's places marked blasting site and exercise field and then the note <laughs> scrolled underneath that is do not mix these up i guess <laughs> which is just a classic joke I, I, that's hilarious yeah i that's what i always love about these extra materials as well both sneaks so many little just chucklers into these things yeah. like they're always full of so many extra details like yeah this is one it's like what are they blasting? What, what, yeah, what who knows what that means? For? Yeah. Um, the, like speaking of like little details that just make these things excellent. Um, I, I think it's like Verona who was scribbling these little notes because there's a thing where somebody scribbled notes on what's in each wing, mm. and the word library is written in big capital letters. Like it's just given extra importance, and that was like okay. So Verona presumably wrote this is scribbling because, this. Yeah. Yeah. Like again, that's just those those little extra details that push these things over the edge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we get descriptions firstly of each and every senior. They get like a paragraph to themselves, which is great. There's some really interesting things in here. Yes. Uh, much like the map, this is uh, something I expect to come back to a lot as we continue to read this arc because yep. uh, now our character can just get introduced and I'll be like, okay, hold on. I'm going to go find their entry in uh, the student guide and refresh myself on what crazy fucking title they had. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, do we know who wrote this in universe? Like, uh, I didn't pick up on it. I, I think it comes from the faculty. So, it, one of the head teachers, I would suggest, Pro presumably Alexander. Yeah. Okay. Because it was just this one part where, like, they're talking about Tanner Gilpin and how he was like found and you know has been a bit reckless. But there's this part where it's like his talents, you know, definitely back up the decision to bring him on. That like, feels Alexander to me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're right. It does. It's just like, like, what a whack thing to write. Like, you have, you have like, like two sentences to summarize a student at your school, and it's just sort of like, <laughs> he's so great, and like, you know, it, you're right. It is Alexander because like he's so great, and I'm so great for deciding to bring him on. Um, <laughs> Whoever brought him in made a great decision. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, there's also, so we, we get confirmation, uh, Nicolette took the Belanger name uh, as part of agreeing to come on with them. Yes. Which is, I wonder. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What do they get out of having her take their name? Because that, like, that's presumably what that tells me is, you know, it, as, as her joining a junior member of the family, literally, does that give them extra control over her or something? No. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, I don't know. And and will it complicate and and cause problems for the situation where she's planning to run off to a, a rival gang? Basically, um, who yeah. knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, maybe it's maybe it helps prevent stuff like that. Maybe there's yeah. some spirit rule about families got to stick together or some bullshit. Yes. Uh, the other thing, uh, there's Ulysses, and we don't. Turns out nobody knows who Ulysses' god is, mm. which I thought was great. I was like, finally, I was like, okay, we're going to find out which like Greco-Roman god Ulysses uh, like is, is a patron of. Yeah, to. yeah, and there's just like some mysterious god we don't know. I was like, oh fuck, yeah. yeah. And, and now, now that it's been brought up as like something we don't get to know, I'm like, okay, this is it's going to be something important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so now I'm even more curious. Yeah, that's one that to keep an eye on. Uh, there are a number of students that we haven't really heard anything about. So um, we have a student called Amine Roscio, who is a nerdy kind of godling who who seems to have like conquered a god and now just like studies in the library all day. 
he got a god to unmake itself. Well, no, first it unmade its children yes. and it unmade itself, which is like mm. unmake is such a fantastic word choice there because it's not like destroyed itself or kills it. It's like it unmade it. That sounds so much more methodical and meticulous. It's like yeah. he made it tear itself apart bit by bit, presumably got its own power for himself. They don't specify that, but I, I felt that goes without saying. Yes. Um, he he took its name as well as part of this. Um, yeah, weird. Weird. They're all weird characters, right? Um, then we also have one called Reed Musser, who kind of collects miscellaneous tricks and stuff and has nine implements and two familiars of note. That's uh, pretty wild as well. Um, yeah, because we just got told that you can only have one of each. Yes. Uh, and then it's sort of like, I, I feel like that's just a little reminder that the rules in this the world rules are malleable, are concrete. Yeah. yeah. Um, we also have Estrella Vanderwerf, whose family was all executed by witch hunters and is like an expert on Fae. Yeah. What if the what if the witch hunters find this place? Yeah, yeah. Weird. Um, so I guess <laughs> worth pointing out is on on the Parahuman subreddit this week was a discussion about witch hunters, and I found that really interesting. And and Wabo did some. Uh, some some OC in there as well. Actually, did a, a thing that really reminded me of Supernatural. I don't know if you saw this, Elliot, but I I didn't. To, he described some different types of witch hunters, and one of them was like two people who roam around the country on their bike. And I was like, oh, this is giving me very heavy Supernatural vibes. <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, yeah, it would be very interesting. I I mean, I wonder what the vibe from witch hunters on this place would be like. I guess it depends on the witch yeah. hunter. Is the answer. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know enough about witch hunters to know where they would stand. I got to go find that Reddit thread. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, also the other thing we get about this Estrella uh, woman is she, she deals with the Winter Court, mm. which I was kind of like, okay, you know, if I did have to pick a court of the fairy to get entangled with, mm. like they are supposedly the boring ones stuck in a routine. So if you had to yeah. handle hundreds of plots as Estrella does. Um, they're probably the ones whose plots you want to be handling because they're not adapt. They're probably not as adaptive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wait, um, I, wait. Uh, to me, the fairy represent like stories and and lies and stuff. And mm. so I imagine like the Winter Court represents fucking trope, like dead tropes and like you know, <laughs> yeah, the stories like, that have d- at- like faded out. You know, the unfinished uh, web serials or the unfinished fanfics. Or not even that, like the really old, tired ones, like fucking, you know, soap opera days of our lives bullshit. Like, oh, I see. Yeah. Like like a, a winter court fairy is going to get amnesia or, or give people amnesia or some yeah. like, boring, overdone shit. Yeah, uh, I see. Come come visit you as your evil twin or something yeah. stupid like that. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, it's, it's kind of like if you can learn the tropes of the winter court, you can probably manage them a lot easier than like, you know, Marissica will go out of her way to surprise to you. To be innovative. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I like that. Um, oh, we also have a, a senior called Hadley Hennigar, who is basically a witch hunter hunter, seems like. Um, <laughs> so that's fun. Yeah. I, uh, my favorite line from this is um, uh, when describing Hadley, it says, uh, death won't claim her, but war certainly seems to have his hold on her. Yeah. Which is just such an evocative line. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. And like, I, I don't know what being attached to war looks like exactly, but it's probably metal as fuck. Um, yeah. So many cool, just extra little students. Yeah, I know. Can't wait to meet them all. We also get Zed. Uh, Zed's quickly brought up. And mm-hmm. what I love about this is, uh, you're right, I think it has to be Alexander who wrote this, because it's like, Zed is very good at finding interesting problems, which is just sort of like, hey, 
go look at what Zed's been looking at. I didn't tell you to do it, but like, you know. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Zed, I didn't cannon. even make that connection. <laughs> go check out what Zed did last week when he went to that town that I can't mention. <laughs> um, and then also Bree is, is introduced. And um, one of the things that's mentioned uh, is Bree has not just the option of being a host, which is the one we're familiar with through yes. Matthew. Yeah. Um, she could be a harbinger, which is whatever the fuck that is. Like, that, that's just like a cool, you know. Again, just interested in Brie again all of a sudden because we didn't know what direction she was going to go. Now we know there's at least two that she can consider. Yeah. Um, you know, common vernacular would, would indicate it's a kind of predecessor to a big bad thing, like a bad omen kind of vibe. So, you know, Brie comes in and, and leads the hungry choir behind her as her, like, I don't know, patron or, or something. Uh, hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll see. Like, um, I, yeah, I find this fascinating. I think. I think I, I saw somewhere that Harbingers are listed in like the pack dice docs, but I haven't yeah. really read those. Yeah. So I, I don't know what it means, but and I'm going to let this story show me, I guess. Yeah, we'll see. Um, of course, all the juniors are listed, not in as much detail, um, but there's they're basically all given like three word or four word summaries of, of the type of practitioner they are. They are and yeah, there's that- some really fun ones in there. There's some crazy, like, it's like there's, yeah, these weird little titles. Yeah, um, so I saw ones I liked were Goblin Witch Princess and Goblin Raider <laughs> Princess, which I think were two sisters. Goblin Witch Princess is... What does that mean? Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, someone else is listed later as a Goblin King. Um, I, I forgot to check if the Goblin Princess is related to the Goblin King. Mm. Um, yeah, there's. A, I think the one that stood out to me is just hilarious, is uh, Zachariah Nickel has a hot girl totem as their totem. Sure. Um, whatever the fuck that whatever means. Whatever that I mean, means. It's hilarious either way. Yep. Um, yeah. We also see the categorization of the Kenneteers. So wild practitioners, all of them, but Avery is listed as a finder. Verona is listed sorry, as... Sorry, again, it's got to be Alexander who wrote this because he, yep. he, he, he got to write wild practitioner three times, which is totally his MO. <laughs> um, yeah. Verona is, word of the week. <laughs> Verona is a dabbler. Um, and Lucy is categorized as a wild practitioner, fairy sword fighting, which is interesting. That's like her subclass. I mean, we obviously have seen some of that, but that seems to be the the niche that she is carving out, which is very interesting. Yeah, because like I agree, like Avery is listed as a finder, which we're like, yep, cool. Like, yep, makes sense. That, that one's been done and dusted for an arc and a half now. Uh, Verona's dabbling. I was like, yeah, okay, she she does dabble. Uh, checks out. What's interesting about Lucy is they didn't actually give their information. So, yeah, wait, I, um, wait, I, I where did they Lucy... find this out? Right, because there, there are two yeah. scenes of this happening. Uh, Bree was Bree at Bree was at the first duel against Guillaume, right? So, or at least yeah. for the very start. So maybe that's an avenue of which they could have found out some of this. And then the but second I don't think duel she was allowed was... to talk about that. Well, well right. No, she, she... Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know that she's allowed to talk about. And then the second yeah. duel was obviously with um, uh, uh, Melissa. Melissa, yeah, um, which is not, and presumably they haven't found out about that. Or un- like, so this is something that is clearly made enough of an impression that you can kind of get that vibe from her without having seen either of those instances of that exact thing happening, which is great. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's almost like Alexander was just able to glean from her essences of fairy and eff- essences of. Um, sword fighting like, yeah co- combat and yeah and drew this link of himself I, it's just interesting because i don't 
I don't think Lucy would have thought of herself as being locked into this as a, like, you know, is this something she's already locked into? Is this Alexander just sort of speculating? Yeah, what um, was her reaction when she saw that listed next to her name, I guess? Yeah, yeah how, how true is it? Is it, like, a bit prophetic? Like, if everyone thinks you're a fairy sword fighter, does that mm. mean the spirits are more likely to make you into a fairy sword fighter? Mm. Or, or, you know, like, help you be a fairy sword fighter? Because mm. um, I was just talking about how uh, I thought she'd be a good fit for some of the karmic stuff, but maybe that ship has already sailed. Or maybe they're not mutually exclusive. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any interesting stuff. Interesting stuff in the bonus material. Yeah. There's also, so the last little list is like the special students. Yes. Um, there's this, like, there's that Goblin King who, like, rent, rented the room for two years, but he's now serving a, a nine-month prison sentence, which is just <laughs> the most Goblin shit I've ever read. Um, uh, also, Millie is listed here. She's a special student, which is interesting, because I got the impression, reading 4.6, that she was the Kennedy's age, but... Well, yeah, um, her age isn't listed, so who no. knows? But most of the special that, students seem to be, like, post-grad, right? Yeah, exactly. So that that was sort of, like, yeah, for me, I was like, I, I just defaulted to thinking she was about the Kennedy's age, reading four point six, but it's not listed, so she must actually be, or oh, basically an adult. Um, but like, yeah, basically this this last section to me was just all about referencing again these secret projects, which is something we've heard a lot about the last like three or four chapters. And I just feel like like these secret projects feel like such a Chekhov's um, bomb. Like one of them yeah. is going to go off and be something, surely. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to see. Because uh, that's the end of the chapters for today's episode of Power Reflections. But the episode's not over yet, as you can see, if you have just gone to check out your uh, your little <laughs> timeline thingamajig. Because um, we still have to dive into some Pale Predictions left in our Pale Predictor app. Uh, predictions from the community of what they think is going on in this mystery here. Yeah, so what what have you brought this week, Ruben? Okay, this is a great one. Um, this one I've seen uh, from a few different people, I think, on the Discord, but another ship is the, the one that wrote it in our app, as far as I can tell. Uh, and they say this, The reason Verona's dad has never had his first name revealed is because his name is Mark Hayward, and Arc 4, leaving a mark, will culminate with Verona leaving a mark. Um, <laughs> which I think is just such a great wordplay and i've kind of been thinking about mark as a name as one of the possible other meanings for leaving a mark as an arc title so um yeah i don't know i can see it we'll see i feel like that sort of for want of a better word dumb warp wordplay is more our level than wabo's but uh, fair I, mean, I guess we'll see <laughs> yeah fair i mean we don't know any other um, marks in the story so uh we'll have to see i mean yeah fair i guess um i yeah i mean that would be pretty funny i would i would get on joke if, if that's part of it <laughs> uh, what prediction did you pull out this week uh so i pulled out a prediction from uh saint just who uh nice short one just saying uh verona will steal the animus librarian from zed and take it as her familiar um which i don't necessarily think will will happen but like i i i like the idea of verona having an animus librarian as her familiar um actually made a lot of sense to me like i could see those two getting on very well yeah um me too verona can manage to hold off from actually becoming another long enough to still get a familiar, <laughs> get a familiar. yeah definitely <laughs> um yeah cool good predictions uh, if you want to leave your predictions you can find a link in uh the, the notes down below um now, also, last week we had a discussion question, which was talking about Alcazars and asking people to Alcazar a person or another and talking about what it looked like. 
Uh, we got some answers to this. Um, what I want to talk about is from a user called Bavarian Barbarian, who does Alcazaring of other previous Wildbow protagonists. But it's probably spoilers, <laughs> so I can't really get into it. But definitely check out last week's discussion thread. Uh, there's an Alcazar of Taylor, which I thought was a really fun idea. Um, so uh, so definitely check that out. Yeah, I mean, it, it's there's a lot. It's hard to summarize some of these ones, especially with spoilers. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll jump onto the discussion question for next week, and uh, we've kind of um, plagiarized Borrowed. this one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because Ray has has left a homework assignment for everybody already. Uh, he, here it is, direct from the text. Imagine these big rituals, e.g., implements, domains, familiar rituals, and what would happen if you used various power sources. What's the impact of feeding raw glamour into a domain ritual or ruins energy into a familiar ritual with an abyssal other? Um, so, yeah. Obviously, like, you don't have to answer those exact ones for no other reason than we don't really know what an abyssal other would even be like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess, you know, the, the general thrust of, of Ray's question and, and thus our question that we borrowed is, uh, like, what do you think various kinds of magic would do to some of these rituals? Yeah. Um, so you can leave your answers to that discussion question or just your thoughts in general on the show in our discussion threads, which are linked down in the show notes down below. Yeah. And, uh, you know, come check us out on, uh, Twitter. If you, if you want to catch my live reads or get updates about, you know, if, if something's going to be late, you know, that's the place to stay up to date on everything power reflections. Yeah. Um, you can also check out the Doof Media website. Pale Reflections is a proud member of the Doof Media podcast, uh, podcasting network, I should say. Um, and there are a bunch of other great shows on the network that you can check out. Uh, in fact, we just did a show on the Doofcast with Matt and Scott talking about Legend of Korra season two. Yeah, uh, it was a it was a you know great discussion, possibly even better than the actual <laughs> content. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean those uh, those Avatar episodes are always a blast. Very fun. I hope to we get a chance yeah. to do season three. Uh, so go go give it a listen if if you you know are interested in the Avatar franchise. Yeah, uh, if, if you're not, then go watch the Avatar franchise. Oh, yes, I assume you, you just be. have yeah. it. <laughs> um, if you want to support the network, you can head to patreon.com forward slash Doof Media and become a patron of Doof Media. Um, Help us make all this cool content that we make. You get all kinds of perks if you want, but you also just get the perk of knowing that you're supporting a good cause. Yes, and there's also Walbo's Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Walbo. He gives these stories out for free. You know, he's not doing these these rate hikes like Alexander is. He's a Walbo's a real Mr. Bristow character. Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> interesting. I like it. This might age terribly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so you know, go support Wildbo if you can to because you know it's only thanks to his patrons that he can continue to write in this free fashion like this. And yeah, without that, he'd need to you know be more of an Alexander. And nobody wants that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so go to patreon.com forward slash Wildbo to support him. Um, and I guess that's the end of the podcast. So we'll see you next week when we find out just how Mister Bristow's apartment complex works exactly. <laughs> see ya. Bye. Bye.